There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. We've been doing a study on the tabernacle for quite some time now. And we have made our way to the tabernacle proper, uh, that building that you would readily recognize as a tabernacle. Although the whole, as a whole, it was known as the tabernacle courtyard and all. Thank you, Evan. You can leave that right there. Appreciate it. Uh, but we have come to the main tent itself. And last week we ran around the framework, how, what propped up what those uh, canvas coverings are. Or not really canvas, but coverings are. And tonight we're going to teach on those coverings themselves. And as you look at that diagram, you'll notice it's kind of a cutaway. A sectional view, if you will. And in that, you can see the different coverings that are referenced in there. There's four separate coverings that went over that framework. And you also get a little peek at the framework itself that we talked about last week. But let's all stand. uh, Exodus chapter number 26. And we'll start reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 14. Exodus 26 to verse number 14. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and purple uh, and, uh, and blue and purple and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. And the length of one curtain shall be, uh, shall be eight and twenty cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have one measure." And five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and, and other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue uh, upon the edge of the one curtain from the uh, sleeve ridge uh, in the coupling. And likewise thou shalt make the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the uh, second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in one curtain. Fifty loops shalt thou make on the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second. And the loops, uh, that the loops may take hold one to another. And thou shalt make fifty patches of gold, the couple of the curtains together. And couple the curtains together with the tatches, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be the covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Uh, the length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits. The breadth of one cur- curtain, excuse me, the breadth of one curtain, four cubits. And the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains. By, the, by themselves, and thou shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of one curtain, that is the outermost of the coupling, and fifty loops of the, in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tashes of brass, and put the tashes into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remain. 
the remnant of the, uh, that remaineth of the curtain of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth shall hang over the backside of the tabernacle. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of that length remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent. It shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on the side on this side and on that side to cover it. And thou shalt make coverings for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering above of badger's skins. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to give, I guess, the best application and drawing out that I can do in the limited time that we have. Let's put it that way. There's a lot. There's a lot here, but I wanted to try to take these coverings all in one piece because they all point to one person, and that is the Lord Jesus. And so we'll do our best to try to make application and to draw it from this spiritual application, learning edification in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you are our shepherd. You are leading us to great pastures. You are leading us uh, in times of difficulty, in valleys of, of death and darkness. Father, we thank you that you are such a faithful shepherd. Now, Father, I pray that you would lead us through your word. God, we have entered a passage of Scripture where there are shadows, there are sketches, there are beautiful fingerprints of the Lord Jesus on this tabernacle. And I pray that you would use that to strengthen us. Use that to show us the value of what we have as priests in your kingdom, as servant priests born into the family of God, invited into the very presence of God what we can discover. Father, we thank you for that. Strengthen us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And all it takes is a couple of chairs, a bedspread, and you have what every child eventually does without teaching them how to do it, without telling them how to do it. How many of you parents have ever walked into a room and found this odd tent of a couple of chairs and a bedspread. Kids naturally do it. I, I remember doing it as my, as, my, as my boys and my children grow up and I see them and how they do Allison used to do the same thing. I'd get two chairs and put them although it's been a whole lot longer since Allison's done that kind of thing, we have to admit. But she's done that before. She'd get a couple of chairs, throw a blanket over it, you have an instant tent, and you have hours and hours of fun. I remember doing it when I was a kid. I remember uh, seeing a film about these children that were orphaned by their parents. And they were given to this mean, old, closest relative who was awful to them. And uh, he was being mean when they first met this, uh, this relative and he, he took possession of the kids. He was being so mean to them. He was threatening them. He was frightening them. And finally the mean old relative locked them up into a, into a back room and told them to go to bed. Well, those children were so angry and they missed their parents so much. You know those kids did? I love that part of the movie. They make a little bitty tent. And they all get inside that tent, all three of the, the, little brother, the two sisters and the brother, and they take a picture of their mom and dad, and they remember, and they act like they're spending time with mom and dad. 
You see, I believe that this tent that children are so fond of making, and I saw in that film, it's a representation of intimacy, of security as well. And I believe that the same similar attributes can be found in this tabernacle, in this picture here of the tabernacle. We're giving us a picture of security of protection and intimacy in our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the coverings of the tabernacle are what separated it from the outside world. These four coverings are a beautiful representation of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that what what draws us in, what brings us to God, what separates us from the outside world, what's different for us, it is the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Colossians say? We are in Christ, in Jesus. We are underneath that covering of the Lord Jesus. And so I want us to see these four aspects of Jesus that are typified by these coverings. The first thing I want you to see, is a covering of salvation. So if you've got your little diagram, I want you to look at the one that's closest to the framework. It's the one on the very, very, very bottom. The one closest to the tabernacle. That, I believe, is a picture of the covering of salvation. This was, as we see in our verses, the curtain was a fine linen It was the most ornate of all the coverings. It was the most beautiful of all the coverings. Yet at the same time, it was the least seen. No one rarely ever saw this covering. I want you to notice first of all about this covering of salvation. I want you to see the perfection of salvation in this covering. We see in this innermost covering that it was made of linen. Verse number 1 in 26, chapter 26. Thou shalt make with ten curtains of fine twined linen. Now I tried to study as best as I could and picture this in my mind. There was a series of curtains uh, that were 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. And they were attached together and placed over the top of the tabernacle. And these curtains provided the very ceiling, this curtain provided the very ceiling uh, of the ceiling of the tabernacle. As we've seen before, you remember when we talked about the gate and the outer court and how those were to be made of linen. We know that linen is always a clear type in the scriptures of the righteousness of God. Or not not our own righteousness, But it is the righteousness, our own righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6, what does it say? Our own righteousness, me at my Sunday school best, high and all, front row sitting is nothing but filthy rags. That's not to say I'd like to have some front row sitters. Amen, Brother Greg. I like them front row sitters. But, but the thing is, is that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. No, this linen is the faith righteousness that is Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you'll notice, there is a series of ten of these curtains. Ten is a number of testimony. It is a testimony of the Ten Commandments, the, the very law of God. 
and how we see that the Lord Jesus, in His own righteous, uh, righteousness, He never was sin. Jesus kept the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law down to the last jot and the last tittle. It was all fulfilled in Jesus. You see, we are covered by the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah 61.10, For He hath covered me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Revelation 7.14, These are they which came out of great tribulation, which have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, my righteousness before a holy God is covered by His righteousness. Oh, listen, I'll not be seen in all of my shame and my rags. I about wore myself slap out preaching to those ladies about sins being forgiven and how that God in righteousness has, has forgiven my sins and cleansed. He's covered them. They'll never be seen again. I've been covered in the white righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And so that gives us the perfection of salvation. The ten curtains telling us that He's kept God's law and He is spotlessly white. Notice also, I want you to see the person of salvation. Notice what it said in verse 26. Fine twine linen, blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of coming work. Now notice, coming work. Notice, notice what you find here on that. Remember we saw the same thing at the gate, these different colors. White meaning righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. Blue. Remember what we said blue was on the gate? Blue was His divinity. It is a picture of His heavenly origin. John 3, 31 said, He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. But he that cometh from above is all. Jesus came from the Father. He came from heaven. He came from another worldly place to be born on this earth. But not only blue, there is purple. Purple represents his royalty. He is the righteous heir, of, the rightful heir of the throne of his father, David. You remember as we preached through the book of Acts and how that Peter has time and time again hammered away that he is the son of David, that he's the rightful king of Israel. He is the king, king of kings and lord of lords. He is above all. Notice also scarlet. Scarlet is that deep red color. It represents His humanity. His humanity. Not only was He God, but He was man at the same time. He is Son of God and Son of Man who shed His precious blood on Calvary's cross. There we see the person of salvation. It is in Jesus Christ. But I want you to see the permission of salvation. Notice what it said in verse number 1. With cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. Notice the phrase cherubims. The, 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 the whole, uh, the, the, the covering of the tabernacle came in layers of the, uh, excuse me, the permission of salvation. The cherubims were to be made of needlework. My wife has is, is gotten this thing where she, she's going to make a quilt and I can't wait to see it when she gets it done. She sets her mind to it. Uh, no stopping her. She's going to get it done. She's going to be quilting. But, but she's having to do this fine needlework. She got, she got them set on the table and she'll actually take a needle and start going back and forth. That's what it's talking about. These cherubim or these images. Now cherubims in the Bible 
are not chubby-cheeked little angels with little wings and halos, but they are mighty creatures that worship God. They were winged creatures whose voice, according to Isaiah 6, shook the temple as they cried, Holy, holy, holy. They are a representation of God's sovereignty, His majesty, and His power. And these were to be needleworked all through that covering. And so, picture yourself, you're going through that diagram there. You come through that front gate and you look above and what you see on the walls are solid gold boards all the way down. And you look above and there's that white linen with the embroidery of blue and purple and crimson. And above you are these enormous cherubim. These great creatures of God with their arms outstretched. We'll learn on the Ark of the Covenant how that these cherubim were placed on top and that their wings would be outstretched. No doubt this design would include those wings being outstretched. Can you picture these creatures uh, stretched into, uh, stitched into the fabric with wings outstretched? You see, these priests literally were under the wings of Almighty God. Psalm 63, 7, Therefore, in the shadow of His wings will I rejoice. Psalm 61, uh, Psalm 91, 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high, most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What a privilege! What a permission we have to come in and to serve and to minister under the mighty wings of God. What a privilege to worship God under the shadow of His wings. What a privilege to serve God under the shadow of His wings. That's what it means to be in salvation, to be encased in His righteousness, to know the beauty and the splendor of His heavenly origin, of His, of his natural birth, in, supernatural birth in this life, of His suffering on the cross, of His royalty as the line of King David. Oh, only the priests saw this. And what a privilege. What a permission we have in salvation. Notice second of all, not only a covering of salvation, but I want you to see a covering of sacrifice. A covering of sacrifice. Notice in verse number 7, and thou shalt make curtains. Wait a minute, before I go on. You see, there's a lot here, and this is kind of from memory from my study. But you'll remember, as it described those, it talked about loops and loops, 50 loops. You remember that 50 loops? You'll see the same 50 loops here. 50 is always a number of redemption. Every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. Uh, Pentecost was celebrated on the 50th day. It is a mark of redemption. And here on this linen covering, the fine white linen covering, we find clasps of gold, which means the deity of the Lord Jesus. All of this is held together by the deity of the Lord Jesus. Your salvation is held together by the deity. The blood of bulls and calves and ashes of a heifer can't save souls. The blood of sinful man shed for another can't save a soul. It's only the God-man, Christ Jesus, sinless, spotless, who died for our sin. Notice, second of all, we see the covering of sacrifice. The covering of sacrifice. Now, the, cover of the covering of the tabernacle came in layers. After the beautiful linen covering, then there was a black 
covering of goats. Goats in that area are not necessarily uh, bred white. Most of them in that area are black. And so this uh, this uh, uh, covering of black, it would have been a covering of black of goats here. Now I want you to see something about this goats here. Notice it is the sacrifice for sin. A sacrifice for sin. Goats, the goat was an animal of the animals that were used in Israel for the sacrifice. And goat speaks of sin. You think about that area and how that those goats are black. Black is always a picture of sin. So these animals would have been an object. It was commonly used in the connection of the sin offering. The goat was offered in the sin offering. The covering of goats, uh, the covering of goats pictures that Christ is the one true uh, the one true sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he have put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus was spotless, was beautiful, what did have all the all of the power of the Godhead bodily in himself, and yet at the same time. He became sin. He became sin. He was the sacrifice for sin. One one author said all that sin means of violation of God's intrinsic law repudiated, a repudiation of His will, all that it means in high treason against Jehovah, all that it means in that impulse which has filled the world with corruption, iniquity, shame, and moral shipwreck on the cross, Jesus became all that in God's sight. He placed on Him the iniquity of us all. We see that He was the offering for sin. He went on, that author went on to say God looked upon him and dealt with him on the cross as the criminal of the universe. I never thought of it that way. And that author had it big bold letters. letters the criminal of the universe. Imagine all of the wicked men upon the earth. God identified him. God saw him on that cross as that black beyond compare. The, the, the universal sinner, he placed on him uh, the, the sacrifice of sin. It was a sacrifice of sin, for sin, but also it was a sacrifice of separation. You see, this goat, this black goat was used primarily another, uh, called, on the Day of Atonement. Y'all have heard me talk about the Day of Atonement, how that they would bring two goats, two goats to the uh, to the uh, the tabernacle, and how that one would be taken, the light would be cast. One of them would be taken as the sacrifice on the altar to be burned on the altar to be, and his blood sprinkled in the most holy place one time a year. But the other one, the other one was separated. The other one was taken by a man outside of the camp, taken as far away as could be to where the animal could not find its way out far far away so far as to never find its way back to be completely forsaken and die in the wilderness in like manner Christ was forsaken on the cross of Calvary he was rejected and in his word not father not my father my father but my God my God 
Why hast thou forsaken me? He was completely rejected. He was separated away from the Father. He took the separation that we deserve. That wailing and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness away from God left in the universe of hell to suffer throughout all eternity. He took that on the cross. The black cloak of sin represents a sacrifice of separation. He was separated. Notice the third covering. Not only a covering of salvation and a covering of sacrifice, but I want you to see a covering of substitution. The next covering was a covering that was made of ram skins dyed red. Look at verse number 14. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red. It was a, 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 a covering of ram skins. So you, talk, you look at your little diagram. One, two, three. Next to the top was this ram skins. Now, what I want you to see about this ram skins as a covering of substitution. I want you to see the picture of substitution. Now in the goat's hair, we see he is the sacrifice for sin. Alright? I, I thought about this outline in the first three points really answer three questions. Number one, the first, the first covering talks about who Jesus is. The second covering talks about what he has done. The third covering talks about who he has done it for. Because it talks of substitution. The first place, the first place we see the ram skins in the Bible is at Mount Moriah. And how that, or we see ram in the Bible is at Mount Moriah. Abraham had placed his promised son Isaac on the altar of sacrifice. But God provides a substitute. He stops his hand in mid-travel and there is a ram in the thicket. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 3. Second uh, Corinthians uh, five twenty one says that he was made sin for us, not just made sin. I think these ramskins bring it home personally, not just for sin, but sin for us. We who were filled with sin, filled with iniquity, he became sin for us, took our place. First Peter two twenty one, his own self. Bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Oh, listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Galatians 1, 4. Who gave Himself for our sins. Romans 4, 25. Who was delivered for our offenses. Isaiah 53, 6. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of His own. I cannot see how anyone in this world could see Christ as some social bystander who was caught up in an emotional rage and political struggle in Israel. He died in our place. He was a substitute for our sins. In order to think that He's some kind of bystander, uh, some kind of social martyr, you have to tear the Bible to bits. He died in our place. A picture of substitution. But I want you to see the perfection of substitution. These ramskins were dyed red. Red. This color is typical of blood. Of the blood of Adam. The blood of man. These dyed ramskins picture for us the once and for all perfect sacrifice of atonement. For sin. It is the precious blood of Christ. 
the precious, perfect blood of Christ that was the ransom that God demanded for the sin of all mankind. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of an heifer to cleanse sin. These merely are the shadow of sacrifice, but uh, to the uh, these are merely the shadow of the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. First Peter three eighteen has wonderful words that you need to listen to very closely. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Catholic Church in itself, when they perform these rites of mass, they are in effect re-sacrificing Jesus again and again and again. But Peter tells us clearly, He died once and once was enough. You see, He was put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit. The covering of substitution, the ram's skins. And now finally, I want you to see the covering of security. This finally brings us to the last covering. We look at verse number 14. And a covering above of badger skins. Badger skins. Now, that's the last covering. Now, it's unclear particularly what the Hebrew text is saying, calling a badger. There's a little bit of unclear about what exactly kind of animal this is. Our translators called it a badger. But I want you to see in the covering of security. I want you to see the security of His protection. Now these skins on the outside, this is the top layer. This is the one that saw all the weather. It saw the beating sun of the Sinai Desert. It saw what rain would come in and storms and, and, and sandstorms and all of, the, all of the encounters in the outdoors. This was the durable piece that covered it all. Some suggest that these skins were actually seal or porpoise skins. Could be that Flipper was and put on, I don't know, but it was some kind of skin. Because many authors believe, uh, like in the, in the Septuagint, this skin of badger skin is translated as skins of blue color. And, and naturally a seal or, or a dolphin or something, a porpoise like that would have that lighter skin color. And so it may well, whatever the case may be, it really doesn't matter. Because those skins acted as a final protection against storms and weather and heat and wilderness all along the journey. Oh, our Lord Jesus in His lifetime stood on the bow of a little boat, raised His hand against the mighty raging sea, said, Peace be still, and the waters ceased, the waves licked His palms, and the wind died, and a hush fell over the horizon, and His own disciples said, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? Oh, I've had many a time when He's come into my life and been that protection, been that source of, of defending me in times of difficulty, in times of adversity. When the wind blew its hardest, He was on top of everything, protecting me, securing me. Oh, listen, the security of His protection. Notice also in this covering of security, we see a security of protection, but also we see a security of his provision. Now these skins 
uh, of protection have provided a place of enduring fellowship between a sinful man and a holy God. See, these badger skins were not of great value. If anybody, if a caravan of robbers were to drive by and they saw those old badger skins or whatever they were on the top of that tabernacle, they wouldn't have even given it a thought. They'd have passed on by. They're not very desirable. They're not something of great value or great wealth. No, they were they were blasé and dull and drab. They, there was no natural beauty that would attract anyone to the attract any passerby or indicate that there was any kind of wealth or splendor on the outside. I thought I was on the online. I got this. I get this thing trying to sell you all kinds of stuff all the time. You get junk mail. Y'all get junk mail. And this one thing I, I saw, they had all the, they had like a like a loaf of bread, and inside that loaf of bread you could undo it. It was a fake. And you undo it, and inside you'd stick your valuables and your, your pearls and your diamonds and your cash. you put it in there. Or there was a wall socket that you could actually put in the wall, and you had a little key, and you opened it up, and there was all your valuables in there. It didn't look like much. Nobody would think of stealing a wall socket or a loaf of bread or an iron board. I won't tell you the other things that they had that were undesirable. But they're, they're, listen, they wouldn't think about going there and getting something out of that. Same is true with this. You know, the same is true can be said of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 3. For he shall grow up before them, before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. No, I hate to bust your bubble, but Jesus wasn't some six foot tall, uh, long haired, beautiful model looking guy. He looked like just everybody else. He looked as common as everybody else. There was nothing extravagant in the way he looked. The way he, there was nothing that would draw people to his appearance. He wasn't attractive to those around him. You see, that's what can be said of this tabernacle and what is said of the Lord Jesus. But yet to those who've been on the inside, <laughs> to those priests who went into the holy place, they can look up at that ceiling and they can see the shadow of His wing and they can see His deity and His humanity and His royalty plastered on that ceiling. They could look at the walls and know that this is a special place. They could minister and walk around knowing that God is just beyond that veil. The living God, Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God that lit the place, the very presence of God rising as a cloud. Oh, they walk in a place that no one on the outside recognizes, that no one on the outside realizes is beautiful and wonderful. You see, to the outside, He may not be anything that would be attractive and drawn to, oh, but those that have been on the inside, we say with the Song of Solomon in 516, Yay! He is altogether lovely. One author said this, but to those who cannot, but to those who do not come by the way of the brazen altar of the cross, to those who do not enter in and become in him, on with him, he is only as badger skins, so without form and comeliness that none desire him. Oh, but when you've been by Calvary, 
when you come by that laver and prepare yourself and you walk into the presence of God day in and day out. Listen, it doesn't have to be in this church. Praise God. If it only happens to you at church, there's something wrong. There's been times where my living room become a place of gold, become a place of majesty, become a place of royalty because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords stopped by that morning. Oh, the mailman driving on the outside couldn't see in my kitchen, but God was there that day. Oh, praise God. The world can't see what's going on on the inside. Only you do. Only your relationship with the Lord Jesus can be that of walking in rooms of gold with beautiful tapestries on the top and sensing the presence of God. Those who have been on the inside say with John 1.14 the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Boy, I let, I let my message slip out this morning. I was sitting over here and they're singing. I was thinking about, oh, but they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. How that God on the day of my salvation made everything about Jesus beautiful. On the day that I got saved and I walked in for the first time, this world won't do anymore. This world won't satisfy. Get me in that place of beauty. Get me in that place of His presence. Get me in that place of His purity. That's where I long to be. All those on the outside don't recognize it, but we know Him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. You see, in closing, Christ is our covering, our redemption, our security. Just like your children build that little tabernacle with with chairs and a throwover blanket, so we are invited to come to Him. The tendency is, and you know this probably as well as I do, when you come into that room and you see everything disheveled and all the chairs are in there and they got that big blanket over the top and you hear somebody giggling on the inside and they say, well, they say, Mama, come in here with me. Daddy, come in here with me. Oh, listen, a tent's been prepared. A tent's been made. You've been asked to come in. There is a God on the inside that says, come in and sup with me and I'll sup with you. You don't have to be on the inside, on the outside looking in. You can come in and fellowship with Him and know Him like no one on this earth can know Him. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be in the bottom of the jungles in Africa to know God. You can be in your kitchen, in your living room, in your back bedroom, in your closet and know the living God and know what it is to walk with something so special and so wonderful that the world cannot comprehend. See, that's why the world cocks its eyes and looks at you strange when you come out from a break room, from a bathroom and you've been crying. And they say, what's wrong with you? Oh, you don't know. You don't know who I just met in there. You don't know who I met with this morning. You don't know who just spoke to my heart. You don't know how those words just leaped off the page and came to me like lightning. Oh, you don't know him. You don't know. I wish you would know him today. Maybe you're here outside and you think this is the strangest thing you've ever heard. You've been on the outside too long. You've been on the outside. You need to come to the inside. You need to come through Jesus. Come by the way of the cross. Sacrifice has been made. The ultimate sacrifice. The burning of all burnings. Christ gave Himself on the cross. Now I invite you to come. Come to the labor. Cleanse yourself. Make yourself right with God. Cleanse it. Come into my inner presence and know me. 
know God. Oh, what a joy it is to know Jesus. Covered by Jesus. Let's all stand as we come with a song of invitation. You know, sometimes you don't realize what you got until somebody points it out. I think a lot of Christians, all they do is come into the presence of God looking at the sand. They don't raise their eyes above their feet. All they see is the sand on the floor. Hey, lift your eyes up. Oh, we're going to go into a place of fellowship. We're going to go into a place of God's light. We're going to go into a place of intimate prayer with God. We're going into the very presence of God here in the next few weeks. Get your eyes up. Look at this relationship we have in Jesus. Cast your eyes on those golden walls. You're in a, you're in a special place. You're in a special position in Jesus. Cast your eyes on that ceiling where God in His infinite mighty wings has stretched over His protection over you. Look and see His deity, His humanity, His majesty. Maybe it's been too long since you lifted up your eyes and saw what all you have in Jesus Christ. Boy, I think this tabernacle teaches us that. Maybe you'd like to come to this altar and say, God, lift up my chin. Be like a daddy to a crying child and take that. God, take your finger and lift my chin up. Let me see you one more time. Let me see you a little closely. Let me see all that you've given me in my Christian experience. Maybe you'd like to come. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.